Now, I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I've been reading the entire chapter. I'm going to preach through the entire chapter here in just a few minutes, but I'll read one verse at a time. But before I do that, you hold your place there. I want to read to you a verse in the book of John, the gospel of John chapter number five, gospel of John chapter five. I'm going to read this. You don't need to turn to it, but I want to read verse number 39. Listen to what our Lord said. He said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. Now, there's nothing wrong with uh, the Word of God. I love the Word of God. It is forever settled in heaven. This is God's holy Word. You can depend on it. I believe in the infallibility of the Word of God. There are no mistakes, and I believe in the inerrant, not a single one. I believe, I believe that God spoke this Word into existence. I believe in divine preservation. I believe that when I have this King James Bible in my hand, I believe I've got the, the pure Word of God. I believe it's the word, word of God. I don't have any question about that, and I really don't need another translation. I'm I'm good. I'm good with this. It's done me for these 60 some years and I'll just stay with it. Praise God. But now listen, some people equate salvation with reading the Bible, but that's not so. The Pharisees knew the word of God far better than I do. uh, So far as memorization, far better than any of us do. They memorized first five books of the Bible. They knew it from cover to cover, so to speak, but they didn't know Christ. And he said, you search the scriptures for in them, you think ye have eternal life. But now listen to what he says about the scriptures. And he says this, search the scriptures for in them, you think ye have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. And then he goes on to say this, and you will not come to me that you might have life. He said, the purpose of this book Now, please keep in mind that when he's speaking in John chapter 5, there is no New Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament. And he's saying that in the Old Testament, I'm all the way through there. And it testifies of me. And he said, you you will not come to me that you might have life. I want to preach to you for just a few minutes after I pray on Jesus. Perfect everything. Heavenly Father, I pray now the Holy Ghost of God to touch me. And Father, I pray, God, that you'd speak to my heart. And God, I pray as we look at the Word of God, that Lord, that you'd speak to the heart of every person in the radio audience, in the internet audience. And I pray, God, for all of this great crowd here gathered today. And for my own heart, I pray, God, that we'd see Jesus. Our Father, we thank you for him. And Lord, thank you for loving us that you'd give your only son. Thank you, dear Lord Jesus, for coming and suffering and bleeding and dying. And for the fact that, Lord, we can know you in a real personal way. And you made a promise that you never, ever leave us or forsake us. Thank you for being our Savior and our Redeemer. And Lord, I want to thank you for the Holy Spirit of God that after you were resurrected and you ascended back, that you sent the Spirit of God to dwell in our hearts and to be here to convict men of sin and righteousness and judgment. And I pray, Lord, this morning that, God, you do just that through your precious Word, and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you were here on Wednesday night, I told you that there are... Am I on, Brother Joe Barry or Brother Jim? I told you that there are, in this passage of Scripture, I had a message with 40 points because Jesus is identified in 40 different ways. I'll tell you, I did fudge a little bit. 
They're more than that. And so I just was trying to get you to come back. I knew if I told you there's 45 of them, you probably wouldn't come back. But I'm going to try to go through them just as quick. I remember one time I, I heard old Brother Mays preach one time. And uh, Brother Mays could preach a long time. And boy, he's always such a blessing. But he was preaching one time in the Bible. There's a place where it talks about seven oases. And in those seven oases, there are 70 palm trees. And so Mays was preaching in a camp meeting. And boy, he was going like a house of fire. He's preaching on those seven different oases in the Bible. And he's preaching through them. And this lady sitting by his wife, she ought to have heard her to say, she said, boy, he's going a long time on them seven oases. And Miss Dot, that's Brother uh, Dot, Brother Mays' wife turned around. He said, she said, you better pray to God. He don't preach on them 70 palm trees. We'll be here to Thursday. And, but I'm not going to go that long. I, I want you to listen, though. What a blessing. What, better, what could we do better this morning on, on this beautiful day than to magnify our Lord? Now, you look at this passage of Scripture and follow it. If you want to mark your Bible, please mark your Bible. Listen to what it says, chapter 49 of Isaiah. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. I want to say to you the first place, he is the one to whom you must listen. Jesus is the one that you need to listen to. You don't necessarily need to listen to a, a governmental official or to a scientist or even to a religious leader, but you'd better listen to Jesus. You'd better listen to what he says. And he says for his people and also for those who are far off. And he, the, the word of God is for all of us. And you need to hear the Lord, not, not just read the Bible, but you need to hear him. Let him speak to your heart. He said of those Pharisees that they searched the scriptures and they thought they had eternal life by keeping an adherence to the word of God, but they missed Jesus. And if you don't hear him, and if you don't hear him when I preach, you've missed it. If you don't hear him and he's not lifted up, then you've missed it. The Holy Spirit of God is here to speak and to say to you what he wants to say. And Jesus said, you better listen to me. You better not listen to other folk. You better listen to me. Listen to me. He's the one to whom you must listen. The Lord hath called me from the womb. And from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And here the Lord is identified as being the one who came, who was called from the mother's womb. And that reminds me that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who had a perfect birth. He was born of a virgin, born of a virgin. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, we look back in Isaiah chapter 7 and look at verse number 14, if you will, please. And listen, this is 700 years before Christ ever came. And and listen to what it says. And therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And in the book of Matthew, it says that word Emmanuel means God with us. And what a blessed thing to know that he had a perfect birth. He's the one who was born of a virgin. You say, Brother Billy, why was he born of a virgin? Well, he, he had no earthly father. He had a heavenly father, God the Father. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Now I know this blows your mind it does mine but truth be known he didn't start at Bethlehem he is eternal he is the eternal son of God I've never heard it illustrated better than, than Dr. Harold Seitler used to it is not holding your hand up high say God the father and come down about six inches say God the son and then another six inches say God the Holy Spirit that's not the way it is at all it is God the father and God the son and God the Holy Spirit on an equal line all God the father God the son God the Holy Spirit three in one co-equal co-eternal and the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God now let me show you what I'm talking about look in the book of Isaiah and, and in chapter number nine and look at uh, verse number six of Isaiah chapter 
chapter 9. He, is, he was born of a virgin, came into this world via the womb of a virgin. And he says that. But now notice in chapter 9 and verse 7. It says this, uh, 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 verse 6 rather, it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. He was born a child, but he was a son before he was ever born. He was the eternal Son of God. Jesus Christ is that eternal Son of God. And uh, you say, Brother Billy, why? Because, you know, the Bible says that he came born of a virgin. God was his father. If, if you know anything at all about biology, the father determines the blood type of the child. And the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was crucified at the time of his crucifixion, Judas said, I have betrayed innocent or the innocent blood. That's exactly the way it is in the King James Bible. The innocent blood. You know why? Because he's the only person ever born of a woman who had innocent, perfect blood. He didn't, he's not born in Adam as, as we are. All of us fail in Adam, but he, my dear friend, he's the second Adam. He has, God's his father. He's not, he had no sin in him. Neither was God found in his mouth. He didn't have a sinful nature like you and I have. He was God incarnate human flesh, more perfect perfect sacrifice, no blemish in him. He came born of a virgin because he had to be absolutely sinless and absolutely spotless because the Bible said the wages of sin is death. And if Jesus Christ had had one sin, when he died, he died for his own sin and not for ours. But the Bible said he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He didn't have any sin. Neither was God in his mouth, but he bore our sin. He's the one who's born of a virgin. And notice, notice what he says here further. He said he made mention of my name. Oh, he's called Emmanuel. And in the book of Matthew, he reiterates that. And he says to Joseph, you're going to call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. He was named before he ever came into this world. His name was Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. But look at verse number two. He hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. Jesus is the one that the sharp sword comes out of his mouth. Now, here it is in the book of Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was ever born. But if you skip all the way to the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse number 16 and chapter number 19 and verse number 15, you'd find out that when he comes back, he said the word goes out of his mouth like a sharp sword and it cuts down all of his enemies. And what a powerful word that is. That word spoke worlds into existence. It spoke the stars into existence. It spoke animal life into existence. That word is powerful to create, but it's also powerful to judge. It's like a sharp sword that goes out of his mouth. And my friend, you'd better listen to him. You'd better listen to his word now because his word now is coming to me, all you that labor in a heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, it is a, a, it is a drawing word. It is a word of compassion. But in the book of Revelation, and when Jesus Christ comes, the word that comes out of his mouth is one of condemnation, and it's one of conquering. And my, he's the one who has that sword in his mouth. But look at verse number three. He says this about him. Well, verse two again. He said, it's made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me. He's been there all the time and he's just been made manifest. The Bible said in these last days that Christ was made manifest. He came into his own. His own received him not. He was hid from a lot of people through all the ages, but he came and now he's made manifest. Shows us that. And he said, he's like a polished arrow. I mean, he had a particular purpose in mind. He, has, he prepared him, sent his own son, fashioned a body for him, the Bible said. Made a body for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. And he said unto me, thou art my servant. 
Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Now you said, Brother Billy's talking about Israel there. If you read the context, you'll find he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ and the word Israel. You remember Jacob wrestled with God and the Bible said, I'm going to change your name now. I'm going to change it to a prince of God. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is the prince of God. And here he is. He's identified as that one that, the, that, that God the Father, he's the servant of God the Father. He came to this earth. You say, Brother Billy, why did he come to the earth to serve? What did he do to serve God while he was here? If you watch his life, he ministered to people. And the only way you can show your love for God is for what you do for people, how you minister to people. But he's a servant of the Lord. He came to give his life a ransom and to die. Jesus Christ was that servant of Jehovah. He's the servant of the Lord. And he says this, in whom, God said, in whom I will be glorified. Jesus came not to glorify himself, but to glorify the Father. He said, he that seen me has seen the Father. You've seen the Father. And he came to glorify the Father. And mine, your responsibility is also to glorify him. Jesus Christ, he's the one who is the servant of Jehovah. He's the one who is the prince of God. He's the one who came to glorify the Father. Look at verse 5. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and God shall be my strength. Listen, he is the regatherer of Israel. I want you to know he's still in business. You think about that nation of Israel, how here they are exiled, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom taken into captivity by two different nations scattered abroad. They went out and they got other peoples and brought them into the land, into where those tribes of Israel live. They left there the poorest people. They left there their servants and they brought in all these other people with the idea that the Jews would intermingle and intermarry and that they lose their identification as a nation, as a people and they dilute their culture and they'd, they'd be a non-factor in all of history. And yet through all of that, after 70 years, God brings them back and then when they rebelled against, they, they scattered again and they stay in the captivity until in 1948 some of you living and God began the Lord Jesus began to call Israel back and Israel became a nation again in 1948 and God still got his hand on Israel now you say how's that happening what's going on what's doing that well Jesus is doing that he's he's the one who's regathering them and bringing them back into the land here's the prophecy before 700 years before he ever born he said I'm going to gather Israel. I'm going to bring them back. And he is the regatherer of Israel in this particular passage of Scripture. But now notice something else here in this passage of Scripture. He said he is the strength. He is our strength. I'm glad that God is the strength of of a believer. Paul said, in my weakness, then am I strong. Why? Because he's able to do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth him. You say, Brother Bill, I can't live for God. No, I can't either. Nobody else can. But God is our strength and the Lord is our strength. He's our perfect strength. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Look at verse 6. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be the servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved Israel. I will also give thee the, to, for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be sal- my salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, in this particular passage of scripture, notice what it says. He said he is not only salvation for the Jew, 
but he's salvation for the Gentile. Did you know that you and I were not an afterthought? Some people say that he came to his own and he rejected, the Jews rejected him, and so he decided to save Gentiles. No, did you know before the foundation of the world, he'd already decided to save Gentiles? Thank God, did you know that before the foundation of the world, he already knew who you were and he loved you and he died for you? Now listen, you say, Brother Billy, God has a special people. They're called the apple of his eye. Absolutely. But I'll tell you how special I am. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also flee by him, give us all things? You're special in his eye. I don't know. God does love Israel and they are special people, but so are you because he gave his son to die for you and he planned it before the foundation of the world. In this passage of scripture, he came not only to regather and restore and to preserve Israel, but he came to be a light to the Gentiles and to save us. Boy, I'll tell you one thing. He's the one who is the savior of Jew and Gentile, those who redeem on the Lord. Look, believe on the Lord. Look at verse seven. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to whom men despise, to whom Him whom the nations abhor, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, and princes also shall worship, because the Lord is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, uh, and He hath he shall choose thee. Now here, our Lord's identified in several other different ways. And notice what it says here in this passage of scripture in verse number seven. First of all, he is the Goel, G-O-E-L. What's that mean? It means he's the kinsman redeemer. In the Old Testament, you remember the book of Ruth, how that Ruth came back to the land from the land of Moab and she brought with, or, or that uh, uh, Naomi came back and she brought Ruth with her and uh, they'd lost everything. They'd lost everything. All the land was gone. All their inheritance was gone. They didn't have anything. And what they needed was a goel. They need a kinsman redeemer in order to be a kinsman redeemer. That is somebody who'd come and buy the land back to them and give it to them. Somebody who'd take care of their physical and financial needs. They needed that. God put that in, the, in place. And he said, if, if your husband dies or, uh, or, or, and you lose your land through whatever way, there could be a kinsman redeemer who could cut, step in. You wouldn't lose your home. You wouldn't lose your land if they could redeem it for you. Now, in order to do that, number one, they had to be kin to you, had to be kin to you. And then two, they had to be wealthy to do that. They had to have enough money to be able to do that. And then number three, they had to be willing. But it says right in this passage of scripture, he is our goel. I'll tell you something. He was made flesh just like us. The Bible said that he was made in the form of a servant. Being found in fashion as a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ took on him the likeness of men that he might be kin to us. He said, I'm not ashamed to be called to call you brethren because he took on our flesh. And our Redeemer came to redeem us. He was clothed in human flesh. He is our kinsman redeemer. And is he wealthy? Oh, he is able to save to the uttermost all that call upon him. And is he willing? He said, whosoever will may come. Thank God for that. He's willing to save everybody. The Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect redeemer. He's the perfect redeemer. Notice verse number seven again. And it says he, and he is holy one. The Lord Jesus Christ is the holy one of God. You know what the demons said when they saw him? Thou art the Holy One of Israel. Thou art the Holy One. Oh, they saw him as everything they were not. Jesus Christ was the Holy One. He is his Holy One. Now, we're not holy, but he is. He is. He's perfect. That means he's absolutely perfect. 
He's absolutely perfect sacrifice. When they got rid of off that Old Testament sacrifice, it had to be a lamb without blemish, not one spot on him. And Jesus Christ is our Redeemer, doesn't have one spot. He's absolutely holy. Notice what it says further. He's the one whom men despise and whom nations abhor. They despised him. Now, look at the life of Jesus. Why would anybody despise somebody that fed people, that resurrected dead people, that touched blind people and opened their eyes? Why would they abhor somebody and hate somebody and despise somebody like that? Because men's hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. And why is it that a man, a woman, a boy, and girl in Johnson County, here's a Savior who loved you so much, clothed himself in human flesh, suffered and bled and died on the cross, and has already paid your sin debt and said, if you come to me, I'll give you everlasting life. Why would you reject that? Because your heart is wicked, because it's deceitful and desperately wicked, and you don't know, you, you won't respond to Christ. But oh, if the sweet Holy Spirit of God deals with your heart and he shows you this Savior, what a wonderful Savior is. He loved you so much he died for you. Nations abhor him. Individuals despise him. But I'll tell you something this morning. I love him with all my heart. You know why I love him? Because he first loved me. There was a once a time that I didn't care for him. I didn't like the Bible. I didn't like Jesus. I didn't like church. But when I came to know myself as a lost sinner and trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, then, praise God, he became precious to me. Notice in this passage of Scripture, he's the one who's despised and rejected of men. The Bible says that in Isaiah 53 as well. But in the last part of this passage of Scripture, it says this, he's also the one to where one day the whole world will bow. And he said, kings and princes will worship at his feet. That one, that lowly one who was born in a manger, that lowly one who was beaten and spit upon and hung on a cross, that one who was put in a barred tomb, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Here he is, and he's, he says he's the one who's going to bow. Notice what it says in the last part of verse 7. It says he is the faithful one. He comes back in Revelation. He's got that sword coming out of his mouth, but he has written on his thigh, faithful. I want to tell you one thing. I've not been faithful to him, but he's been faithful to me. I've failed him, but he's never failed me. I've forsaken him, but he's never left me. I've dishonored him, but he's never dishonored me. He's always been there for me. He is faithful. I'll tell you right now. He said he's faithful. He that has promises, faithful to keep that that you've committed unto him against that day. I promise you he'll take care of you. He's a good God. He loved you and he gave his son. He's faithful. I thank God he's faithful. But then notice he says in the last part of that verse, he is the Holy One of Israel. He's not only the Holy One of God, but he's the Holy One of Israel. That means this, nobody else in Israel is holy. <laughs> you look through a whole nation and you couldn't find him. You say, well, Moses was holy. No, 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 he wasn't holy. There's only one Holy One in all, all of Israel. His name was Jesus. He's the only one. He's the only one. No, no, he's the only, only Savior. He's the only Redeemer. He's the only Holy One out of all of Israel. Go through the Bible, pick out everyone you want to. And Jesus is the Holy One of Israel. Look at verse number eight. And he says, thus saith the Lord, in an accepted time have I heard thee, in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee and give thee that, give thee for covenant of the people to establish the earth and to cause to inherit the desolate uh, heritage. Now notice what it says about our Lord. He's the one who's right on time all the time. He's right on time. He comes in the accepted time. That word accepted time is the proper time. It, it is the ideal time. He comes in the ideal time. It means he comes right on time. 
He, I, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who always shows up right on time. We thought we was going to be lost. We thought we were going to, we weren't going to have what we needed, but he always showed up. He's the one who shows up right on time. Notice he says, he said, I'm the one who helped you. He's our helper. Thank God. I'm glad. He said, I will lift up my eyes. From whence cometh my help, my help cometh from the Lord. I tell you, somebody can help you this morning. It's Jesus. You say, Brother Billy, can't nobody help me. I'm hopeless. Oh, no, you're not hopeless. There's help on the way. There's help on the way. He's there to help you. And he said, I'll meet every need you got. He's the one who can help you. He's a perfect helper. He knows what you need. He knows the problems you're in. He knows the circumstance you're facing. He knows what you need. There's an old song that uh, uh, Noel Lawson sings. I never can. Dan, think of the name of it, how it goes. But it says something like this. He said, if you give up today, help that's coming tomorrow won't help today or something like that. I know I got it wrong, but I like that song because here we are in a dark hour, but help's on the way. Just hang on to tomorrow. Help will show up tomorrow. But if you give up today, you'll never see the help. Oh, listen, he's your helper. I'm glad he's my helper. Thank God for that. And notice he's the preserver. I'm glad he keeps us preserved. Oh, you say, well, Brother Billy, I believe man loses salvation. I, I believe this. I believe when you get saved, you're saved for all eternity. I love old Dr. J. Harold Oldman. O.J. Harold was an old Wesleyan preacher, preached for me. And old Dr. Canoy used to get mad at me. He said, you got that old Armenian Wesleyan come preach for you. I said, he's not an Armenian. I said, he believes that when you get saved, you're saved forever. I said, he just don't believe a lot of Baptists are saved. Everybody say amen right there. That's the truth. But oh, it, I heard, I heard listen, you know what he said? Old Dr. Lohman said, he said, my mama used to put up vegetables. And she'd put them, and when you take them out of that counter, you set them on the counter. After a while, you hear them go bang, bang, bang. They were sealing. Boy, that top was sealing on. And he said, you go back in there six months later, and you look at all the tomatoes sitting up in them court jar, and one of them has unspewed out, bubbled over and spewed out. He said, wasn't nothing wrong with mama and what she did. She said the problem was, he said the problem was that really wasn't ever sealed. And you know what? The reason people spew out and kick out and act like that is that they never get really get sealed. That's the truth of the, it is. But he said, I'm able to preserve you. And praise God. I want you to know that. Listen, everybody let your neighbor say, he preserved you, didn't pickle you. You can smile if it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> I'm glad he preserved you. He didn't pickle you. Praise God for that. I'm glad he's able to preserve. Uh, he preserves us. He's the one who preserves us. Now notice what it says then here. Verse, this is very important. Look at verse 8. And I'm a preaching just as fast as I can. Notice what it says here in verse, and I'm how, how far I've got, if you write them down, but notice what it says here in this passage. He said, not only have I preserved thee, but I've given thee for a covenant. I've given, I give thee for a covenant of the people. Now, here's the deal. It's not a contract between you and, and him. It's his deal. He is the covenant. He is the covenant. Now, watch this. In the Old Testament, Abraham was fell in a deep sleep. And while he was asleep, he saw something strange take place. He saw the ram or saw a lamb divided and laid out. He, he saw a ram divided and laid out, a bullock divided and laid out. And he saw uh, that what they did, they, they'd take and they'd split that lamb, lay him over here, one piece over there, blood would run down. It split that bullock, lay him down here, and the blood would run down. And it, that, that, uh, that ram split it, and the blood would run down. Now, he said, and I watched. And he said, I saw a burning lamp come down and went down between those pieces. Now, here's the deal. When they made a blood covenant like that, I'd make a deal. I'd say, I'm going to do this, and you're going to do this. And we'd lock arms, and we'd walk through that little blood trail. And he said, I didn't see that at all. 
He said, it didn't even see me in the picture. He said, all I saw was a lamp. All I saw was a light. And that light came down and it went down that long bloody trail right by itself. You know why? Because Jesus is the covenant. He is the covenant. He made that agreement with himself before the foundation of the world. They shed blood would save all men. Whosoever will may come. And it's not me and you. It's him. Praise God. The covenant's him. He is the covenant. Our Lord is the covenant. And notice what else it says in this passage. And he said he to establish at us to in, in, inherit the desolate heritage. Notice what he says in verse 9. He said that thou mayest say to the prisoner, go forth. Who is he? He's the one who sets the prisoner free. You say, Brother Bill, I'm bound up. You don't know what I'm bound with. I'm bound with cocaine. He can set you free. You say, I'm bound up with lust. He can set you free. I'm bound up with alcohol. He can set you free. But the truth of the matter is that all of those things are just sin. Did you know that? They're just sin. And none's worse than the other. They're all sin. But he's able to save to the uttermost all that come to him. And he's able to forgive all of your sin. And he said this. He said he's able to say to that prisoner, you can go free. Boy, I'm glad he said I can go free. I'm glad he forgave all of my sin. I'm glad he set me free. I'm free, and I'm free indeed. Who the Lord sets free is free indeed. Listen, he's, he's a perfect deliverer. He sets you free. Notice he says to them that are in darkness, show yourself, to show yourself. Now you say, Brother Billy, what's that mean? I'm, he's able to make everything light. He's the one who brings light into darkness, and he's the one who brings those in darkness, out of darkness. He is a light to the Gentiles and he gives us light. You don't have to live in darkness. You can live in the light. And he says this. He said he's able to feed in the ways and their pastors shall be in high places. I'm glad God not only will save you and redeem you. I'm glad that God, somebody, the Lord will take care of you. He'll satisfy you. He'll feed you and take care of you, not only physically, but spiritually. It leads you to a green pasture. I believe that's what churches ought to be, don't you? Don't you believe a, a church ought to be a pasture where sheep can come and get fed, get something from the Word of God in Sunday school, get something in, in Sunday morning service? And I believe they ought to be fed. And listen, God's Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the one who leads us in the green pastures. He's the one who leads us beside the still waters. Notice what it says in verse 10. He, uh, they shall not hunger nor thirst. Uh, thank God for that. I'm glad he can satisfy your every desire. He can satisfy your every need. He can provide you food and pasture. He can satisfy you and give you perfect shelter. Notice what it says. It says the sun will not smite thee for he hath mercy on them. I'm glad that he's got mercy. You know who needs mercy? Guilty folks. You say, Brother Billy, God couldn't save me. I'm a sinner. Well, that's the only kind of people he saves only kind of people ever saves is sinners. Praise God. That's why he came to die and save sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He died to save sinners. You know who needs mercy? Every one of us do. Every one of us needs mercy. And thank God, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Thank God for grace. Now you say, brother, boy, I just had a thought, brother Barry. He said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I don't need mercy necessarily every day. The Bible says the mercy is in you every morning. But grace stays with me. Mercy follows me. Uh, boy, I tell you, I'm glad, glad grace don't ever go away. I'm glad grace is always with me. But there are times when I'll need mercy because of my failure. But I'm glad he's one who gives us mercy when we need it. Thank God for that. Notice he said he shall lead them. I'm glad that God didn't save you, leave you alone. When God saves you, he gives you mercy for the times that you mess up. But he said, I'll lead you. God's going to lead you. He's going to lead you. He's going to feed you. He's going to take care of you. And he said, he said I, even by the springs of water, 
shall he guide them. Boy, I'm glad God leads us to a place of refreshing. You say, Brother Billy, this is a hard road. Look at verse number 11. I will make all my mountains away and my highways shall be exalted. He said, you're going to, you say, Brother Billy, I'm facing some big mountains. That's all right. God's going to put a highway through them. God's got a place. God can go over the mountain. God can take you over the mountain. God can take you through the valley. God can take you through the fire. God will take you through the flood. He's the one who, who takes care of you all the way through. He's the one who makes a way when there is no way. He's the one who does that. Look with me, please, if you will, at verse number 12, he, uh, uh, verse number 13. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful. And, O earth, and break forth in singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and have mercy on the afflicted. I'm glad he's the one who brings us joy and singing. There's no joy in a life of sin. There's no life in the joy of wickedness. It always, you, you'll pay for it in the end. It'll end up in great tragedy and sadness. Oh, listen. They show all the beer commercials and everybody's having a great time. They never show the car wrecks. They never show the tombstones. And, and I, listen, I saw a thing the other day and they had a little clip and they're talking about tobacco. And this guy, he, boy, it's really impacting. He said, he's got this executive sitting there and he's got a one here and he's got a number over here and he's talking to this tobacco executive. He said, now you tell me uh, the product you make, how many people would you be willing to die from the product you make? And he started with one and he started going over here, two, three, four, five. And that's kind of the way it ended. Just put an impact on you. You know what I told my wife? I said, I don't smoke. I used to. I don't smoke anymore. I don't think it's good for your body. I don't think it's good testimony. But why don't they do that for liquor? Why don't they put the liquor up there? Why don't they do it? Because there's too many folk in Washington and just buy it by the freight car load. That's why. That's why. Listen, I'm telling you, the whole thing is this. None of that will give you joy. None of that will give you peace. And Jesus is the one who gives you joy. He's the one who will give you the peace. And you can break forth in singing. He's the one who gives us mercy. Thank the Lord for that. Now watch. Are y'all still with me? Say amen. 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 We're going on through. We're going to finish it. Praise God what you want me to or not. I'm going to hang with it. I'm going to finish it. Praise God. I've been here 13 years. I might stay a little longer. But now notice. Notice what it says here. He comforts us and gives us mercy. And oh, listen. Watch it. It says. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and the, my God hath, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Oh, listen, you ever felt like that? You ever felt like the Lord doesn't know where you are? Everybody else is getting by, and you're not getting by? Man, you're having a tough time financially. And I know people, listen, I, and we've got folk in our church that have been through so much t- tough time, lost homes, lost jobs, lost their health. Going through so many times, I sat at the hospital the other day with Becky and Linwood, and uh, oh, listen, all that they've been through, and all that they're going through, and I know there's times in the deep, dark night when they swept themselves to sleep, and they said, "God, where are you? God, have you forgotten me?" And I'll tell you something: He's not only the one who gives us mercy; He's not only the one who gives us comfort; He's not only the one who will provide for us and cause us to sing. But notice what it says, in verse 15: Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should? not have compassion on the son of her womb. Yea, they may forget, but I will never forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hand, and the walls are continually before me. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, a mama might forsake a child, but he said, I'm not going to leave you. I won't ever forget you. I want you to know, my dear friend, the devil's a liar. Jesus is not going to forget you. He's the one to stay with you. I like what the apostle Paul said in, 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 his, in one of the books. He said, all men have forsaken me. 
Nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. I, I'm glad, my friend, to say today that Jesus is the one who will stand with you. He'll never, ever forget you. You're engraved upon his hands, and thank God for that. Notice something else in verse 17. He goes on through verse 17, and it's kind of a lengthy passage of Scripture. And I'm not going to read it all, but he said, I, I'll be with you. I'll give you children. And he said, I, as I live, saith the Lord, thou shalt surely be clothed, clothed thee uh, with them all. And as an uh, ornament, bind them on thee as a bride doth. And, and for the waste and the desolate places of the land of destruction shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants. They have swollen up upon, uh, 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 up shall be far off. The children which thou shalt have after thou hast lost the other shall say again in thine ears, the place is too straight or too small for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. Then shalt thou say in thine heart, who hath begotten me these? See, I have lost my children, and am desolate, a captive, and moving to and fro. And who hath brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These were, have they been? You know, he's when he's saying, he said, I know right now you feel rejected. Right now you feel lonely. And he said, you've been decimated. So many deaths and so much destruction. He said, but the day's coming. I'm going to bring you back into the land. And he said, I'll tell you something. He said, you remember the old swamp land over yonder? That wasn't no good for nothing. He said, it's going to have to be filled in. He said, because you're going to have children and grandchildren living over there. He said, remember the old desert place out there that was just too barren and nobody could live there? He said, it's coming a day that that's going to bloom like a rose because you're going to have so many children. He said, I'm going to bless you so good. And you're going to wonder, where in the world all this come from? I was so alone. I felt so lonely. I didn't have, lost everything. But where did all these blessings come from? I'm telling you what he's saying. He said, sunshine's coming in the morning. Our glory is coming. Listen, weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. I got news for you, my dear friend. There's a day coming, that day coming that all the sorrows and suffering of this world won't be able to be compared to the glory that's going to follow. That's what he's saying to Israel. He said, hang in there. He said, I'm going to bless you more than you can ever stand. And you'll wonder where in the world all these blessings come from. He said, it came from me. Verse 25, he says this. He said, you're going to have a lot of enemies. But he said, if they contend with you, he said, they'll have to deal with me. He said, I'll contend with them. All your enemies. He said, I'm glad the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who takes care of us. Look at verse 26. You know, I'm almost through. I'm through with the chapter. Notice what it said. He said, I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they shall be drunk on their own blood. As with sweet wine and all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, thy Savior, and thy Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Who is the Lord? Listen, he's the Lord. He's perfect Redeemer, perfect Savior. And he said, verse 26, there's coming a day that every person, the whole world, will acknowledge him as Lord. He said, they shall know that I am the Lord. And he said, also, I'm the Savior and Redeemer. I am the mighty one of Jacob. Oh, listen, I'm dating right now. What a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. I love him. I'm thankful for what he does. That's just in one chapter of the Bible. And if I had time, I could spend a long time on each one of those things. But I want you to know he is the Holy One, but he is the Mighty One. You know what that means? Number one, it means this. It means there's nobody stronger than he is. Nobody stronger than he is. Nobody more powerful than he is. He's a great, powerful God. 
You say, Brother Bill, how powerful is he? He's able to save to the uttermost all that come to him. He's able to keep that which you've committed unto him against that day. And he's able to subdue all nations before him. And he's able to make a brand new world. And he's got it already prepared for us. It's coming. It's coming. He's the mighty one of Israel. It means that he's nobody stronger than him. He is the mighty one. He's able to keep you. He's able to help you. Able to save you. You can depend on him. He's somebody you can lean on when you don't think you can go another step. He is the mighty God. He's able He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we are able to ask to think. I, there's an old song. There's a new song, actually. And uh, I love that old song. And it says, how did you get here? And it says, we came by the way of the cross. By the way of the cross. When this is all done, it's all settled. And all the suffering's behind us. All the turmoil and all the problems. Those who know the Lord will be in a land where there's no more sickness or sorrow or pain. They'll live in a land of eternal joy and bliss for eternity. There'll be their great host of people that are now our kinfolks. And that's kind of what I preached about at Ms. Darcy's funeral. She'll have a family she never knew she had. And we'll say, how did we get here? I, I like that little statement a while ago. They'll say, where did all this come from? Where did it all come from? Well, we'll know. It came by the way of the cross. You and I never would make it. We couldn't make it another day were it not for what he did for us on that cross. He came to suffer, bleed, and die for us. But I'm going to tell you, I don't have a bit of problem in the world casting my lot with a Savior who'd give himself to die for me. I don't have a bit of problem being obedient to him and doing whatever he wants me to do because of what he's done for me. I don't have any fear for the future because of God who's able to do that is able to keep me from whatever might come my way not an enemy coming that he can't defeat, not a, not a burden coming that he cannot lift, not a sorrow that coming that he cannot c- comfort. There's not a need coming that he cannot meet. I thank God for him. I wonder if you know him this morning.